Hello and welcome to Sweet Seats Podcast with the Sports Broadcasting Class. Um, I'm here with Derek. What's going on? I'm here with Joe. Hello. I'm here with Kendall. What's up? And I'm here with Cameron. Hey guys. All right. So to begin, we're going to talk a little bit about college football. Um, the biggest, the biggest thing in college football right now: national championship game, Alabama versus Georgia. What are your guys' predictions on this game? How do you see it going? Okay, I guess I'll go first. Um, Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC Bowl. They won 41 to 24. Stenson Bennett threw for 340 yards. Well, um, Young threw for 421 yards against Georgia's defense. That's really been Georgia's true calling card is that defense. It showed out against Michigan. It really struggled against Georgia, and I know there was a lot of talk about is that defense going to be able to play well against Michigan, or is that Michigan offense going to have its way against Georgia? The question was called early. Um, Aiden Hutchinson was neutralized in that Michigan game. So I got Alabama winning a close shootout game. I got it being a low-scoring defensive battle. I got Alabama winning. I completely agree with Derek. Um, I have Al- I have my money on Alabama. Uh, I mean, they're number one overall. I mean, Georgia did kind of whip Michigan silly. I mean, let's be real. Um, it really even wasn't an entertaining game because Michigan didn't stand much of a chance. Uh, I I think Alabama's gonna win this one, guys. Yeah, I gotta I gotta go with Alabama too here. There's a lot of a lot of good first round picks on both sides of the ball. You have probably the best linebacker in Kobe Dean playing for Georgia. They have yeah. a great defense end in Jordan Davis. And then Alabama's got some prospects too. They got a wide receiver, Jamison Williams. Um, they have uh, very good talent, but I think Bama wins it. They've owned Georgia for Saban's career, and I just don't see Georgia getting past their boogeyman. Another point that I want to bring up really quickly is I saw something a couple weeks ago that's saying, like, Nick Saban, a year that he um, didn't make the college football playoffs, is he bought each of his players a little bullet, and he gave them to him at their Christmas, at the team's Christmas dinner. A real bullet? I don't know if it was a real bullet or a fake bullet. I don't know that. But what I do know is he said at the team dinner, he said, let's not not make the playoffs. So let's make the playoffs next year so we won't find out if I have to use this bullet or not. Um, I also have Alabama winning this. Um, I think it's going to be a lot closer of a game than it was the first time that these teams played, I think. Georgia hadn't really seen a competition like Alabama yet when they first played Alabama, so I think that's why they got they got killed like they did. But I think after they killed Michigan to the point where it wasn't an entertaining game after Michigan had all the momentum from Ohio State and they were they were a pretty solid team as we all saw. I think Georgia stands a much better chance this game, but I just think Alabama's too talented for Georgia to handle, especially on the offensive end. It was Bryce Young at quarterback and Williams at receiver. I just don't think that they can be stopped. All right, and let's move on to um, our own Michigan and Michigan State. First, we'll start with the Peach Bowl. Um, Michigan State was able to beat Pittsburgh, um, especially in the fourth quarter, a big fourth quarter, to give them the lead. Uh, What are your guys' thoughts on that game? Man, did Michigan State ever get lucky there? Um, Pitt Pitt was using their third-round quarterback, and I know um, something we talked about a lot before break is why are seniors opting out of bowl games? We've seen it. Multiple times, Matt Corral tore his ACL, so now he's not going to be a first-round pick. I had Matt Corral going top 15. So now he's not going to even be drafted this year. Um, We saw Pitt's backup quarterback go out. Imagine if that was Kenny Pickett. If that's Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral both going out in their bowl games, 
now you're down two really good quarterbacks in this year's draft. Um, Jaden Reed played phenomenal, but let's talk about that Jalen Naylor, Naylor catch going behind his back to be able to make the like 360-degree catch. That was insane. But, boy, did Michigan State ever get lucky in that game. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think honestly, it would have been a very different game if Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker played. Um, I would have been interested to see how that went, but I think I think Michigan State was a better team overall, and they really showed it. And uh, Reed had an excellent game, what, two touchdowns. Um, yeah. They couldn't stop him, and that's really why they won. Um, and I guess just not giving up, that's how Michigan State was able to win that game. Yeah, I believe it was more of a mental thing going in, you know, coming out of the third quarter, even coming out of half – <clears throat> excuse me, halftime, and entering that fourth quarter, you know, they had a little bit of discussion about what they wanted to do, and they definitely brought out those good power plays and the good runs in order to make it happen. And clearly it proved it for them because they won. Something interesting about Michigan State is they did not have a rusher average over five yards a carry that didn't get more – that didn't or that got more than two carries the longest average was Connor Hayward he had one rush for seven yards the longest rush on the yard on the day was by quarterback Peyton Thorne for 12 yards so when you're relying that heavily on the pass then you're not going to win many games and if Kenny Pickett was playing in this game it would be a completely different outcome and we'd be talking about a Pitt win versus a Michigan State win yeah I, I, I agree completely um and now let's talk about the Orange Bowl, Michigan and Georgia. Um, I'm a Michigan fan myself, so I turned that game on. But after about halftime, I had to turn it off. It was, it was hard to watch, man. Um, Georgia was clearly the better team. They, they handled Michigan. I mean, 14 first quarter, 13 second quarter, and Michigan had just three. Um, I think I think that the future is really bright for Michigan. We have, um, we have. J.J. McCarthy and um, Donovan Hayward, running back. I think we have a really bright future, but I just think that Georgia was a better team this year, and um, and and they showed it. I mean, I completely agree. I'm a Michigan fan myself, um, and after that first opening drive, uh, it, it I kind of knew what the outcome of the game was going to be. Let's be honest. Um, it was disappointing, in my opinion, just to see them. You know, they came out of the win of Ohio State and how it wasn't even a close game you know it wasn't entertaining again even past the first quarter even the first five minutes it started to not become entertaining anymore because they couldn't defend and they couldn't make those offensive plays needed to win um, i know a lot of people say that there is a clear difference between how the north plays football and the south plays football and i think they clearly demonstrated that the south is very different in terms of playing football from the north not even that let's just think about like the sec versus the big 10 look at what happened in the alabama michigan state game back in 2015 alabama won 38 to nothing let's look at the championship championship game between alabama and ohio state alabama won that game and now this is case number three of the sec dominating the big 10 georgia won 34 to 11 but let's calm down about michigan yet let's not punch michigan's tickets back into college football playoffs yet because of Jim Harbaugh. There's not 100% confidence Harbaugh is going to be at Michigan next year. He might go for the Raiders job. He might go for the Chicago Bears job. So let's calm down on Michigan a little bit, just a little bit. 
Plus, J.J. McCarthy, 100% has not convinced me as a quarterback yet. He's a run-before-pass guy, which we've seen cannot translate that well. I mean, I think we've seen it in the NFL a lot, though, if we look at Lamar Jackson. Um, look at look at Lamar Jackson's success, though. Lamar Jackson had one phenomenal year where he won MVP, and then what has he done since? I mean, if you look at his receiving core, who's his best player? Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown. He's been carrying Baltimore every yeah, year. He, He's he, the reason they're so he good. He has no help. Mark Andrews is his number one option, so you can't blame his passing stats only on him when he doesn't have options. But I think... A run before pass is helpful. You can't have a Ben Roethlisberger anymore because you just. And I would say that play style works even more inside of college football yeah. than it does in the NFL. Just how schemes work, how defenses play. Uh, more dynamic players are better in college football, and see that a lot. Is college football players go to the NFL where they were really good in college, you know, not so good in the NFL. Tavon Austin, you know, people like that. They they lose in the Johnny NFL football. because people are stronger, faster. I mean. It's easier Hard to be good in college much. football than it is the NFL. So, And if we look at some other run-before-pass guys in college football, we can look at Caleb Williams, um, Oklahoma quarterback. I'm looking to transfer, which is where we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the transfer portal. It's been um, a pretty big transfer portal it's been this year. Crazy, yeah. It's been huge. It I mean, feels like every day there's a new transfer. Well, I mean, part of it is all the coaching jobs, you know, Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think the biggest transfer, Spencer Rattler. Um, uh, we had a lot of different predictions. Some people thought UCLA. Like there was a lot of different predictions, but University of South Carolina. Um, why do you guys think he chose University of South Carolina? Well, I think it's the fact that he knows where he's going. He's going to be the first quarterback. He's going to be the guy who starts, rather than you know someone else who comes in who's also a very good prospect and you know and has a chance of being benched. I don't think he'd go somewhere where he knows he could get benched. Remember, that's what happened at Oklahoma this year, is he didn't play that well. He got benched. Remember, he was one of the Heisman favorites coming into this year, him and um, Sam Howell out of UNC. So he played really down to expectations. I really think going to USC or sorry, South Carolina will help a lot because it will give him that new environment. And we've seen what guys can do in a new environment. They can really thrive in that new environment. Plus, new coaching staff just giving him that opportunity to learn from someone new that might be able to help him succeed a lot more, even in college and in the next level at the NFL. All right, and the person that took his job, Caleb Williams, also in the transfer portal with the uh, with Lincoln Riley leaving. Um, where do you think he's going to go? I mean, I saw on Twitter um, he was offered a million dollars to go to Eastern Michigan, but I I don't think he's going to go to Eastern Michigan. But where do you guys see him going? Um, I, I don't have a clear number one candidate right now. Um, I think there's a chance he stays because he never said that for sure he's leaving. He said that uh, Oklahoma could be in his future. So I wouldn't be surprised if he decided to, uh, to stay at Oklahoma. One team I'm looking at is um, Georgia because Georgia really doesn't have that clear number one quarterback. So I really think Caleb Williams could go into training camp for Georgia, even string ball or spring ball for Georgia, and be able to win that starting job from um, JT Daniels, from um, Stenson Bennett, who played phenomenal in that Michigan game we were talking about earlier. But I really think Caleb Williams, because he's younger, he might be able he might be able to win that um, starting job because. Kirby Smart will want to have a guy for multiple years versus just someone he can groom for one year 
and then they're off to the NFL where Caleb Williams is there for a couple more years. Do you guys have any thoughts on this? I mean, I'm going to have to agree with Joe. Um, I don't have really a number one spot, you know, where he could go. I think he might stay in Oklahoma as well. That million-dollar offer to Eastern, I personally wouldn't go to Eastern. Like, come on, who wants to, you know, who wants to come to Eastern? I mean, you know what I mean? So I think he might stay in Oklahoma. I think that is a very viable option for him to do. Um, but I agree. I don't think he's going to choose that million-dollar offer from Eastern. I think he's going to obviously wait and see, you know, if other schools come into play. Um, but not Eastern. Yeah, I think Eastern never has never really been that good. I mean, a million dollars is a lot, but compared to like what others and like what everyone else is like offering for that, I think he's probably either gonna stay or like wait for someone else to offer him like a spot on their team. So yeah, I definitely feel it's like a waiting game. Let's yeah. let's think about Eastern Michigan for a second though. Offensive lineman T.J. Lang came out of came out of Eastern Michigan, had a pretty good career in NFL. He played with the Lions, retired with the Lions. But I really think we could have heard more about T.J. Lang, and he could have been even a better offensive lineman if he wasn't with the Lions. Just someone who came out from Eastern. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um, about Caleb Williams returning, um, Oklahoma just got another quarterback, though. Dylan Gabriel from UCF. Um, he was a star there, and he just transferred there. So, I mean, I don't know if – I would have Caleb Williams going back because I'm sure he doesn't want to try to fight for his job again with a new coach. I mean, I'm, again, if it was the same coach, that none of this would have happened. But with a new coach, you don't know what's going to happen, what coach is, like, who he's going to favor. So I don't know if he'll stay. And honestly, probably another of the biggest transfers, Quinn Ewers from Ohio State to Texas. Um, what were your guys' thoughts on that transfer? Um, Texas needs, you know, a big – big star um their last pretty good quarterback was Sam Ellinger now he's in the NFL they're in a kind of a dry spell for their program right now I believe they're switching over to the SEC with um Oklahoma next year mm -hmm. yeah. so they're going to need a lot of good players to, to try and compete because they weren't even you know for the last decade or so competing in the uh the big 12 they've been struggling to you know stay on top and that's the same thing that's happened with Nebraska and you know other programs that used to be really good Miami so, uh, you know, they're one of those programs in need of a resurgence, and they're hoping uh, Quinn Ewers can lead it. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was really surprised about Texas transferring to the SEC. Like you said, Joe, they're really not competitive in the Big 12, so that's really an interesting decision by Texas to transfer more um, competition for them. But they went a whopping 5-7 and seven this year. They, didn't, they weren't even bowl eligible. So getting that new quarterback might help them and might hurt them. We'll just have to wait and see. And I think the big thing for Quinn is he wants to be a star. Um, mm -hmm. We've seen it in players like Tate Martell before where they he sat his freshman year besides C.J. Stroud. Um, uh, he always said he wants to be a star. He wants to go and play. And so I think that's why he transferred. He knows Texas. I mean, I'm sure he got a big NIL deal, and um, he wants to he wants to go out and play and be the star for the team. I think that's one of the reasons he left was the emergence of C.J. Stroud. You know, he had a very good year this year. I don't think people expected him to, you know, you know, take the ship going forward. I thought everybody thought, you know, Quinn Ewers was going to be the guy. And uh, C.J. Stroud took it, and now Quinn is in Texas. Yeah. All right. Um, now let's talk about some NBA. Um, so to begin, let's talk about the Pistons a little bit, um, our own Detroit Pistons struggling year um what are they seven and 30 something mm -hmm. like that um, 
They they are struggling. They went on a two game win streak. They beat who it was the Bucks and Saint, San Antonio. San Antonio and the Bucks. Um, but then they got killed the last two games. Um, I know Charlotte Kelly Oubre hit eight fourth quarter threes to give them that big win. And yesterday they just struggled against the Grizzlies. Um, the Grizzlies are a good team. John Morant, um, their whole team is just is is good and. Charlotte has the same thing. I mean, they got Lamelo Ball, Miles Bridges, Kelly Oubre. They're just a good team. So, um, uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the Pistons this year? Let's look at some leading scorers for the two wins versus the last two losses. And then one against San Antonio, the leading scorer was Hamidou Diallo with 34 points. Against Milwaukee, it was um, Sadiq Bey with 34 points. Now let's go to the last two games. On Wednesday against Charlotte, the leading scorer was Trey Lyles with 17. Last night was Saban Lee with 14. When your leading scorer is not even scoring over 20 points, you're not going to be able to score points. You're not going to win many games. That was evident against Memphis in the loss last night. They scored 88 points. You're not winning many games in the NBA scoring 88 points. And something I saw from Coach Casey after the game last night on Twitter was he was talking about the amount of energy. He really said that the guys were really trying to come together, and they weren't fighting. They weren't having disagreements. It's just the energy was down, and we saw a game against Milwaukee where Milwaukee's the defending champs. You're playing them in Milwaukee. You're playing them in their building. You're going to have high energy. You're going to come out. You're going to start making your shots early. You're going to come out and win, and that's what the team needs to do. They need someone to take that leadership and be able to score. If it's a Cade Cunningham, if it's a Sadiq Bey, uh, Hamadou Diallo, someone like that. Another option would be Jeremy Grant, which is Jeremy someone Grant. I threw the I should – believe they should trade in a month at mm-hmm. the trade deadline, whether yeah. it to be someone like Chicago or Kobe White, I've heard. So what Patrick Williams, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think you keep Jeremy Grant. I don't think there's a reason. You're not contending. So, you know, bolster up your picks, bolster up your young prospects while you're uh, rebuilding. And I believe the Pistons announced, they said that they love Jeremy Grant. They love what he's done for the city and for the community, but they're looking to capitalize off of how he's playing right now. And to the to me that just means they're looking to trade him um and i think that's the best possible idea for them um they're not contending they're seven they just want to get better they want to rebuild they want to get young players so i think it's best for them to look to a chicago with young young players that don't play a lot like patrick williams and see if they can get uh something good for that think about the contract as well though for jeremy grant as well he was signed to a two-year contract so huge his contract would be up in Detroit after this year. So you see it a lot, especially with the rebuilding teams. They're going to sign a guy to a one, a two-year contract, and then they're going to let him play his behind off and get those stats where they can trade him for more prospects for younger players, and that's really what the Pistons should do with Jeremy Grant. He's he's playing great right now. He's had a really good season. He had a really good season last year. He was, I believe, second for most – or he might have won most improved last year. If not, he was second. And so we really have seen a resurgence in Jeremy Grant's career. And if if you're the Pistons, you gotta capitalize off of it while you can. I mean, to describe their constant losing streak, and I mean they're not doing very well this season. I mean, we can all just agree to that. What do you guys believe describes this issue? Is it the players? Is it the coaching? Is it the owners? Is it the facilities? Again, I know Derek, you were talking about energy. What do you think describes, like, the heart of this issue? I think it goes most. I think it goes most in the coaching, and I really think you can don't play pit all the blame on the Casey, but you can pit some of the blame on Coach Casey because it's really the coach's job 
to prepare the guys for the game and to get them fired up and get them ready to play. We see, look at some of the best coaches. Uh, Greg Popovich, he did a really good job of that in San Antonio. Um, Steve Kerr in Golden State, he did a really good job of that. Casey did a really good job rebuilding the Raptors. They won a championship, but he's not had the same success in Detroit. And I think the Raptors were filled with veterans, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, uh, Jonas Valanciunas. Um, I think that the Pistons are just young players. I think, yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to blame someone during a rebuild because every franchise has to go through that. You know, yeah. sooner or later you have mm-hmm. to retool and you restock. It, it's just, you know, the cycle. Some points you're good, and five years from now you're going to have to rebuild. And it's just part of sports. You know, you're going to be good at some points. You're going to be some uh, bad at some points. That applies to basically every team but the Warriors. Um, <laughs> they took one year to collect themselves. I mean, but when Steph Curry retires and Klay Thompson goes, they're going to need to find players to fill that role. But for I them mean, you're starting to get those players right now, and you're Jordan Poole, and you're James Wiseman. You're starting to see some I mean, it's of those hard to compare players. anybody to Steph Curry, though. That's the thing. You're, you're, you're never, not going to get another Steph Curry You're never going to see another Steph Curry. You're never going to see And Steph Curry's very unique in the way as a superstar, he stayed in one team for his entire career. You don't see that a lot now. You don't, and I'm completely agreeing. But you're starting to see some of those younger players take the next step. You're Andrew Wiggins. You're um, Jordan Poole. You're James Wiseman. They're starting to take those next steps so they can kind of fill the shoes and keep Golden State relevant in the er, in um competition. Yeah, but at that point, you know, without Steph Curry, they're maybe not as good, but they're not awful. So you know, they're around that team where you're the seven to you know ten seed every year, and you're not getting those high pick superstars. But you're also not competing for championships, and that's what happens to a lot of teams as well as they stay mediocre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that the young players aren't going to be able to step up to Curry's level, but even when Curry is gone, Poole, step up, be a huge score. Um, and I think our time is up for the podcast. So I'd like to thank all of my guests for um, joining me today. And for WDBC, I'm Nate Havrilla. Thank you for listening.